listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Before we get started today, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who donated to KHOL during our fall pledge drive. Your financial contribution makes it possible for the station to stay on the air and for our small team to keep bringing you the news, music, and cultural programming you rely on. Thank you for your support. It's also not too late to donate if you haven't already. Give what you can today at 891khol.org slash donate. Coming up on today's show, an audio diary from a new resident of Jackson's unofficial sister city, Tlaxcala, Mexico. It feels like the roles have reversed. Plus, a Moab organization is teaching residents with no construction experience how to build homes with inexpensive and energy efficient materials. It might be intimidating if you're not a typical construction worker to walk up to just some construction site and say, hey, I want to learn. But first, we head to southern Wyoming for a look behind the scenes at the largest wind farm in development in the country. Construction started on the Chokecherry and Sierra Madre wind energy project back in 2016. The project is unusual because of its size and also because it's located on public land. But a federal agency is also stalling a key aspect of its development. KHOL's Kyle Mackey reports as part of a new Rocky Mountain Community Radio reporting collaborative on the transition away from fossil fuels. Jason Thiesfeld is driving a white pickup truck over a network of newly built dirt roads winding through sagebrush and native grasses. The landscape is almost a textbook definition of the wide open spaces Wyoming is famous for. Think about it, I mean, last year there was not a road through here. It was almost, you'd almost have to ride a horse and to get across this country. And I just passed my turn. See, there's so many new roads, I can't even remember where I'm going. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and now it's just this nice... Thiesfeld is site coordinator of the Choke Cherry and Sierra Madre Wind Energy Project for the Power Company of Wyoming. He's been working on the 320,000-acre project site near Rollins for almost 15 years, even before construction started. That's because this project required more environmental analysis than your average wind farm. We know everything about the site. The wind, the vegetation, the habitat, the wildlife, where things live, where things move where the wind blows. (laughs) It's a huge science project, really. Kara Choquette is the company's communications director. She says the Chokecherry and Sierra Madre project is probably one of the most scrutinized wind farms in the country because of its location on Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, land. It's just a a fact that when you are doing energy projects on federal land, there's more environmental review, more environmental scrutiny, therefore more time, more costs. And that's just how it is. (laughs) We're probably 97 to 98% located on private lands across the country. And that can't remain the same. Tom Darren is senior director of Western State Affairs for the American Clean Power Association, the largest wind trade association in North America. We need to tap in to the great uh, wind and solar resources that are on our public lands in the Western United States. That's because Congress set an ambitious goal last year of permitting 25 gigawatts of renewable energy projects on public lands by 2025. 
the current capacity of permitted projects is about 12 gigawatts, according to the BLM. The Choke Cherry and Sierra Madre site will generate at least 3,000 megawatts of clean electricity once it's completed. But another federal agency is standing in the way of how that electricity will reach customers via the planned TransWest Express transmission line. I guess it's um, disappointing that there, is, there, there was so much collaboration to develop the route for the project. The TransWest project was designated a rapid response team federal priority transmission project by the Obama administration 10 years ago. And the last mile and the last obstacle is a federal agency. The LA Times reported in August that the yeah, last private the landowner yeah, blocking the construction path for TransWest is Cross Mountain Ranch in Northwest Colorado. The family is backed by the Natural Resources Conservation Service, part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Basically, the BLM approved a path for TransWest across part of the ranch in 2013. But then in 2014, the NRCS approved conservation easements in the same area that specifically prohibited the construction of transmission lines. In this area, there is no conflict except the one that the NRCS created. The TransWest project would cross the conservation easement on land that is not great sage-grouse habitat. So it's a 16,000-acre conservation easement the project needs 30 acres alongside a state highway. Choquette says the company had no choice but to file a lawsuit against the USDA in 2019. That's still playing out, but she's hoping for a decision soon, and preferably long before the first of about 900 wind turbines start going up on the site in 2025 or 2026. For KHOL and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Kyle Mackey. Coming up next is a special snapshot from Tlaxcala, Mexico, where many of Jackson's Latino residents trace their roots. Allison Sperry is the founder of DIY Docs, a Jackson nonprofit that teaches residents how to make documentary films. Sperry also recently moved to Tlaxcala to expand her program with locals there. This story is an audio diary produced by KHOL Executive Director Emily Cohen for a 24-hour radio competition run by the LA NPR station KCRW. The task was to make a non-fiction radio story of four minutes or less and produce, record, and edit it all within one day. This year's theme was Won't You Be My Neighbor? Here in this part of Mexico, barbacoa is made from borrego, which is sheep, sheep's meat. And it's the most delicious. They've been cooking the meat all night long, um, and then they start making the mice for the tortillas, the masa made from corn flour, blue corn flour. All morning we're making tortillas and serving barbacoa to anyone who comes in off the street. Um, for this little pop-up restaurant. Everyone's speaking Spanish, and mine is middling at best, so I mostly do the things that um, don't take any language skills, like wash dishes. It feels like the roles have reversed. 
so many Mexicans who are in the kitchens of so many restaurants I've eaten in washing my dishes. Now I'm washing theirs in their country. I'm here in Tlaxcala, Mexico, the smallest state in Mexico. I just moved here last month. I heard about Tlaxcala from my neighbors um, and people I knew back in Jackson who had emigrated from this state in Mexico. Starting back in the 90s, one guy from one of the small rural towns in Tlaxcala decided to cross the border into the United States and thought he might go to California or someplace that he had heard of before. But he happened to cross the border at the same time as a guy who had a job working on a ranch in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And that chance encounter convinced him, the guy from San Simeon, Shipitzinko, Tlaxcala, Mexico, to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, because that guy said he had a job for him working on a ranch. Oh my God, if you talk to anyone who's got Mexican heritage in Jackson, probably 95% chance that person came from a small town in Tlaxcala, Mexico. There are so many stories of families that have had tremendous opportunities because someone took the leap of faith to go to Jackson for the first time. There are stories of tragedy where that family member who lives in Jackson Hole cannot come back to say goodbye to their mother when she's dying. There are children who can't see their parents because one of them was deported. There are grandmothers raising children while the parents are working in Jackson. My roommate back in Jackson is a woman who is from Tlaxcala and, and every weekend I go to her grandparents' house where they have a little pop-up restaurant in their backyard. And that's how Allison Sperry ended up moving to the neighborhood of her neighbors. 2,300 miles away. This piece was produced by Wyo Sound as part of KCRW's 24-hour radio race. KHOL has previously reported on Sperry's DIY docs program in both Spanish and English. You can find those stories and more on our website, 891khol.org. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Up next, we have two stories from our reporting collaboration with Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. 
An organization in Moab helps build affordable and efficient homes with grants from the USDA's Mutual Self-Help Program. Justin Higginbottom of KZMU reports on how the group helps educate builders along the way and provide more space for future homeowners. I'm standing on the Community Rebuilds campus. Today they're hosting events for the Natural Building Conference. It's a gathering of those interested in construction using materials like straw bale, soil, and lime mortar, which is being mixed now. Just take a little bit on your hawk and your trowel. Moab has a housing problem, like other tourist-orientated towns in the region. Amanda Jane Albert is an instructor here. Housing currently is just unreachable by a lot of folks. There's lots of service workers here, there's lots of seasonal people that come in and leave, but the tourist industry and the second home situation has sort of raised the cost of living beyond reach for most of the workers in Moab. Housing that is affordable can be trailers or manufactured homes not suited for Moab's hot summers and cold winters. Her organization solves both problems, providing affordable housing built with material like straw bale that's inexpensive and energy efficient. Their intern program also cuts down on labor costs while training the next generation of natural home builders. One of the benefits of the program here is that we provide a safe, accessible space for anybody who's interested in construction to come and be on a construction site, where it might be intimidating if you're not a typical construction worker to walk up to just some construction site and say, hey, I want to learn. Joa Continentino is an intern from Tallahassee, Florida. He was interested in natural building, but it can be expensive to learn. Something really special about this program is that they do accept people with little to absolutely no experience and that's kind of unheard of to get kind of a foot into the natural building world without going to school. Since 2010, Community Rebuilds has built 52 homes. According to the group, those homes cost around $70 per square foot, which is about half the normal cost. Homeowners also take advantage of federally subsidized loans. I'm inside one of their houses with owner Marie Brophy. She lived in Moab for around five years, car camping her first season, and then running rooms. And at that point, it had never actually occurred to me that I could be a part of the program or that I would ever be a homeowner. Um, it still seemed kind of like a crazy idea to me, but I uh, decided to apply. She's lived in the home since 2018. There's plenty of natural light. The tan walls look like they could be carved from desert rock. It's so well designed with the passive solar and the straw bale insulation that I rarely actually run my heat or AC. The program requires homeowners to volunteer around 20 hours a week in building, but Brophy couldn't keep herself away. There were some nights I was tiling windowsills until 11 p.m. by little lamp light or whatever. It just feels like my home because I got to be such an active part of building it. Alex Burbage is a construction supervisor. He points out a picture frame in Brophy's house that provides a window into the straw bale insulation. It's called a truth window. It's a tradition, I think, in the natural building world, especially with straw bale houses, to put a truth window to show people, yeah, your house is <laughs> it's, it's made of straw. Affordable housing is one thing, but keeping those homes affordable and finding space for more can also be an issue. Ricky Epperson is the executive director of Community Rebuilds. You can build an affordable house and you can sell it to a low-income family, but once they sell it, it's forever in the current market, which is completely unreasonable. 
Around five years ago, a program member sold their home after it appreciated by around $100,000 in only two years. She says a lesson her organization learned was to work with others to keep housing and land affordable and open for permanent residents. For example, deed restrictions can prevent homes from ending up as vacation rentals, and land trusts can require development for year-round residents. She helped push the planned Arroyo Crossing development, which will provide 300 units dedicated to housing for local families and workers. Getting everyone together and figuring out how everybody can give a little or nudge a little or like relax a little <laughs> or get serious a little, it takes a village. A village that Epperson is helping to build. Justin Higginbottom for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. Like too many other Mountain West communities, the town of Ridgeway, Colorado, is in the thick of an affordable housing crisis. But some relief is on the way. Laura Palmasano of KVNF reports on the first low-income housing complex under construction in Uray County. It is really tough to find housing here. It becomes who you know and whether you got to them quickly enough. That's Deidre Silbert. She's a community initiatives facilitator for the town of Ridgeway. We are sitting outside on a bench across the street from a housing project under construction in the historic downtown. Silbert says it's a step toward addressing Ridgeway's housing issue. We hope that that's going to really help. It's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to make things a little bit better. She says it will increase the town's housing stock about 5%, adding 30 rental units. The development is called Ridgeway Space to Create a mix of one- and two-bedroom apartments plus community space. Silbert says the units will have high ceilings and lots of natural light. So they're usable by lots of different types of crafts and craftspeople. The intention has always been to have it possible for someone to be able to live here and to work out of their space. Colorado Space to Create is a state-led program to create affordable housing and workspace for people in creative industries. Trinidad and Southern Colorado was the first community to develop one. Colorado Creative Industries, a part of the state's Office of Economic Development, oversees the initiative. Margaret Hunt is the department's director. She says Trinidad is a funky artistic community that wanted to revive its historic downtown and increase its population. Hunt says under the Space to Create program, the community decided to renovate three historic buildings for its project site. That project turned out to be not only those three historic buildings on Main Street, but new construction a few blocks away. It's a total of 41 units of affordable live workspace and workforce housing with about 20,000 square feet of community space. Hunt says local leadership in the community is critical in moving projects forward. A lesson learned in Trinidad where changes in the city's leadership occurred and it took time to bring the new employees up to speed on the project. In order for a community to be eligible for a space to create housing project, it must be a state-certified creative district, have a population of less than 50,000 in a rural area, and strong local support. Ridgeway was the first competitively selected community for the program in 2016, beating out Telluride and Mancus. Colorado Creative Industries says Ridgeway has the highest concentration per capita in the state of people employed in the arts and creative industries, about 12% of the town's population. 
The development will be the first affordable housing project in Uray County. It will serve people making 30 to 80 percent of the area median income. In terms of actual money that came from the general fund, there's really just been staff time and the cost of half of the lot. Deidre Silbert says the town contributed $130,000 toward the purchase of the lot. The project has an estimated price tag of $10 million overall. In Ridgeway, a town of 1,200 people, we could never afford to do something like this, a project like this of this magnitude and with this cost if we didn't have all of the state players and the foundation players that we have had from the very start. ArtSpace is the nonprofit developer behind the project and Space to Create Colorado. The Minneapolis-based organization specializes in creating affordable housing and workspace for artists. It has developments across the country. Andrew Michelson with ArtSpace says the main struggle for the organization when working in any community is competing for limited resources. The demand and the need for affordability is so far beyond the resources available to develop it. The competition amongst developers for those resources is strong. It really puts a lot of pressure on getting the resources all assembled to make them happen. Silbert says the project in Ridgeway changed course to meet community needs. It's moved from being primarily in the concept stage, being a space for people to create in all sorts of different ways. It has evolved into being really a workforce housing facility that intends to be a creative community in whatever ways it can. The biggest challenge for the projects in Ridgeway and Trinidad was securing funding. Both communities applied twice to the state before being awarded federal low-income housing tax credits, the primary source of funding for the developments. Ridgeway's project is scheduled to be done by next summer. Anyone who meets income eligibility requirements can apply to live there. Colorado Space to Create wants to build seven more affordable housing projects across the state over the next decade. Each project will be tailored to meet local needs. Grand Lake will be the next community to get one. It's in the design phase now. In Ridgeway, I'm Laura Palmisano. Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week. The Jackson Town Council began discussions on what a possible emergency development moratorium might look like during its regular Monday meeting. Councilwoman Jessica Sell Chambers took charge during that debate, which was pushed for by the advocacy organization Shelter JH, as well as dozens of public comments online and in person. Cell Chambers didn't make a motion for any tangible action during town council conversations, but she said a pause in development enacted within the next few months could be beneficial as electeds look for options. We have such a complicated and compounding issue with housing and hotel development and short-term rentals that I do think it would be in our interest, in the community's interest, to not table this or not put it off to the retreat, but to have an actual conversation about what this looks like. Could it be beneficial? Other town council members were a bit more hesitant to think a moratorium is the best option right now, and a few public commenters mentioned that they felt a decision like this could unfairly inhibit projects already in the pipeline. Cell Chambers says she hopes a moratorium will come up again at a December 6th council meeting, 
But that agenda is not set in stone yet. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon signed the one bill that survived the state legislature's special session this fall. The legislation falls short of directly challenging the Biden administration's proposed COVID-19 vaccine mandates, but it allocates $4 million for legal challenges against them. I thank the legislature for recognizing their distinct constitutional responsibility as appropriators in forwarding resources to support this endeavor. However, Gordon also expressed concern about the cost of holding the special session when he had already committed to filing lawsuits before it started. The seven-day session cost taxpayers more than $233,000, according to the Casper Star Tribune. The Cowboy State's GOP leaders voted to no longer recognize Congresswoman Liz Cheney as a member of the Republican Party last weekend. The decision passed narrowly 31 to 29 and is largely a symbolic gesture against Cheney's continued outspokenness against former President Donald Trump. Chair of the Teton County GOP, Mary Martin, did not vote in favor of that measure, saying it should be up for the people to decide whether or not Cheney still represents them. This is just all fluff and aura. Smoke and mirrors, some might say. Martin says many members of her party, largely from more conservative districts, felt betrayed by Cheney for her decision to join the committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. That's despite the fact that she voted with Trump 93% of the time while he was in office, far more than most House Republicans. But still, Martin agreed that Cheney needs to be more responsive to her own state's needs. Jackson Hole residents pay a lot for childcare. Local families spend an average of 15% of their income on pre-K and other early childhood education, according to a 2020 survey. That's more than double the federal definition of what's affordable and is a common problem many rural communities across Wyoming and the country are facing, often due to issues with access, time, and availability for parents. But now, chair of the Teton County Board of Commissioners, Natalia Macker, thinks she has a solution to the issue. I would love to see Wyoming invest in building early childhood development facilities adjacent to community college and agricultural extension offices. Macker's proposal, called Community Care Sites, is a finalist in this year's National Ideas Challenge. That's a contest that asks community leaders and policy experts across the country to look for solutions to local issues. She's in Washington, D.C. this week presenting her idea, which she says she's talked about with Wyoming lawmakers, including Governor Mark Gordon. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson.